the other the other thing you could do um we used to do it in school it's a school rule if you really wanted to put your car keys in the fridge and turn it off that way turn all the way down never, yeah you'll never that, that, that was it's not even when it's on it's fine it's if it kicks on and off you're gonna hear yeah. but no that was shouldn't rule. be too picky till we have a studio that's true something but that was a rule in school put your car keys in the fridge unplug the fridge you'll never forget to plug the fridge back in because you always have to go for the car keys at the end it's a really good idea yeah i don't know if that's a film thing or if it was just a school thing but it we never lost any food so it was good (laughs) somebody forget to drive home (laughs) no just never lost any food we had to do that at my my house once we shot a pita pit commercial in my house not a real Peter Pit commercial, but a student Peter Pit commercial. Like a spoof or a very serious Peter Pit commercial? Um, it was this woman at a table, much like this one, and mm-hmm. she was breaking up. She was breaking up with somebody, and of course, it, 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 the camera tilts, and she's breaking up with a fast food burger <laughs> for fresh thinking, healthy eating for Peter Pit. It was my job to create the burger. So I had to make it look disgusting. So I grilled it in green food coloring. Okay. Okay. Um, And then kind of screwed up the bun. And then it was also my job to make the burger cry. So I had blue food coloring and on cue, the burger tear went drip, drip. Practical effects, not yeah. even no animation. Involved. No animation. It didn't look amazing because the burger was kind of crying from the top of the burger, but it did drip down. You just stood little... above it with a little dripper? Uh, we had it pull up, and I think the angle was from just low enough that you didn't see the top, and then it just rolled down oh. the side of the bun. And then we just added the little drip, drip. Beat a pit, fresh thinking, healthy eating. <laughs> so it was fun. I... And we didn't lose any food in the fridge because somebody's car keys were in, there. in the fridge. It, it's interesting to take a, something like an established brand like that and when you're in school. I, I don't even know. Could you present that to Pita Pit later as a possible ad campaign? Niagara College owned it. Okay. Basically anything we made, they had ownership in. Yeah. So I don't know what they could do. Pita Pit probably wouldn't like it, but because no. it was for education, they can't do anything about it. We did. It's true. You get a lot. You get away with a lot just if it's for educational purposes or like a nonprofit or something like that. We did a Smirnoff commercial, which Smirnoff wouldn't have liked. It was in a couples therapy class. Okay. And this woman was just bitching about her husband in front of the uh, in front of the therapist, and her husband was just sitting there, like all pissed off. And he looked up behind the therapist's desk. And there was a bottle of Smirnoff, which, you know, wouldn't really be in a therapist's office, at least in plain view. It's a different kind of therapy. And he looks at the Smirnoff bottle and looks at the therapist. The therapist smiles at him. And yeah, it, it wouldn't be good for Smirnoff. No. All, did, so a lot of the, I remember a lot of the, a lot of beer. I can think of Bud Light commercials that kind of have a strange sexist vibe to them sometimes. I, I don't know how they would do in today's market, but. I think the I think the best one we did, the most realistic one, would have been our Cialis commercial. I don't know why we did a Cialis. I guess because they're funny, because they're always trying to get people out of the house. 
So this father's cleaning this uh, like brand new Dodge Charger. Mm -hmm. And his son comes home and he's like, hey, son, why are you home so early? And the son's like, well, I kind of got suspended. And the son's like, or the dad's like, oh, I want you to take this car, drive around and think about what you did. Son's like, huh? And the dad walks away and the son gets in the car and drives away and then Cialis pops up. They're they're really clever, the Cialis commercials, just because it's this weird misdirection where like until the very last moment you'd have no idea where it's going. The online ones now, they pop up on YouTube videos and they have nothing to do with anything. It's are we still good for lunch tomorrow? Yes. See Alice. Ask your doctor if it's right for you. Not as much thought put into that. Or, I'm really excited for the movies tomorrow night. Me too. See Alice. Ask your doctor if it's right for you. Like, what if I wanted to go for lunch? What if I wanted to go see a movie? It's not anything. It's really misdirecting. I guess the people directing it would... uh... They themselves might just speak in codes like that all the time because they're too afraid to ask, hey, so when are we going to do it? That's true. Maybe. <laughs> I, I popped to see how this. We had a, a timer. Looking at my four hours. Well, 40, hours. Sorry, 48 hours. It's the weekender. The weekender. How is that different than Viagra? Viagra's 24. 24. Hmm. From experience, but... <laughs> Does it get a little bit personal? Yeah. No, Viagra's 24. Cialis is 48. Viagra might actually only be 12. I feel like it is 24, though. Same price, but Cialis will get you the the effects for 48 hours. Not the erection for 48 hours. God, I would hope not. That would be... They call that priapism? That's the thing where they have to, like, jam a needle in there and drain you? Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's... I, I don't know. I've seen some YouTuber go over that entire process and how... I think there's some kind of spider that can bite you and it'll cause the exact same process where you just have an erection that lasts for a very long time and if you don't do something about it, you might lose. Yeah, it wouldn't be good. Yeah. And depending on... I imagine it would hurt at some point. Extremely. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, this is a good PSA. If your arousal does last more than four hours, call your doctor. It's a good idea. Just visit the emergency room if you're really, really desperate. Yes. Um, I wonder what the wait times would be like if you were to go through the whole triage process and everything. I would feel as though it'd be fairly it'd be fairly important because you could lose an appendage. Yeah, but I also watched an old man have a heart attack in the waiting room of the St. Catherine's Hospital, and he was in there. Out of How serious for a heart attack. was the heart attack? Pretty serious. He yeah. was. You could see uh, before he was having it, he was sweating like crazy. His yeah. entire face was red. I, that's why he was there, believing he was having a heart attack, and then dropped on the floor in agony, and then they, they rushed him in. So you can have a pretty serious condition and still have to wait, at least in this local area, and I imagine the cities. I would I would sit there, and I would make everybody feel uncomfortable, because that's not going to be like, I took Viagra. It's been about... You know, three hours. I'm getting kind of worried. Okay, well, sit. Wait. You're okay. I'm gonna sit. I'm gonna wait. <laughs> just, sit. just man spread. Boxer shorts. Yeah. Not boxer shorts. Gym shorts. Yeah. Spandex. If anybody asks, be like, try to call my doctor. So make people feel really uncomfortable. They'd be like, yeah, you can go ahead of us. 
Maybe. Or you could just overdo it and be like, yeah, I think I might die. <laughs> That's true. Got a malfunction going it's on. It's turning blue. Help. <laughs> no. Um... That's, I guess that's kind of the, the theme of this entire thing. We have no idea what we're going to talk about. We started talking about, did we start talking about keys in a refrigerator and we mm-hmm. got on Viagra. So. And that led to boners that don't go away. Yeah. So you never know what could happen. It's a podcast. It is. <laughs> I think we didn't introduce ourselves last time. No, we didn't. I realized that when I was listening back. So um, my name's Eric. And I'm Jesse. Uh, we're Niagara based. We're trying this out. It's really fun. It's actually nice to. I look. I looked forward to it all week, especially the multiple cameras because editing the last one was just not fun. It was fun, but it wasn't fun. Yeah. This one will be fun. And if you're watching the pilot, I don't know if we're going to call this pilot number two or not, but if you're watching the pilot of this, you're going to notice a difference, I guess, in the quality. But. We're still working on it, but we're producing. We're not overthinking. We're just getting out there and talking, and hopefully it's entertaining, as I said. Which, from the technical side, I think we've got it. We just, you know, it's just about putting the effort in. A from set. From the broad, yeah, the set too would be nice. From the broadcasting point of view, I have a lot of room to improve, so. It's all practice for me. I'm so impressed with radio voices now because I keep paying attention every time we go to some kind of show or or even when I'm just listening to the CBC or something like that. People must practice a lot to get that good at it, not flub things or, or just to sound interesting. It's really an art. But it is, and that's why, well, going back to last week, that's why some people drop out of the presentation part of my course. They can't handle it. It's not for them or, you know, they, they just realize they're not good at it. You have somebody with a speech impediment. You know what? Probably not the best thing in front of the camera. It re- Yeah, it really depends. As a guest, it's fine because you have somebody to guide you through things. But if you're thinking about hosting something yourself, having that, have to, having to go on the fly is really going to mess with you. And as a host, you're never really going on the fly because they're always counting down in your ear. You're always aware of what's happening. So when you're just talking... Like they're you're you're aware, so they're saying okay, thirty you know, seconds till thirty commercial seconds to commercial break. Yeah. Stretch it out, speed it up, wrap it up. Or there's, I mean, they might depending on the production, they might not be in your ear, but there's somebody right by the camera that is telling you to you know speed it up or extend or whatever. So it, it's it's looking interested mm-hmm. while not completely paying attention because you have to pay attention to. The guest, you also have to pay attention to your cues. It's, I'm not good at it. Must be a lot more relaxing for the guest point of view, I'd mm-hmm. imagine. Yeah. Just get to be part of the entire show, but not have to put that kind of production into it. They're the one that's talking. They're the ones that, in, that are engaging, but they don't have to. Plus, they're going to have the story and they're going to have the perspective they're offering. So they're being interviewed about things. Yeah. So <sighs> it's a fun process. I'm not good at that part of the process. I can talk, but... If there was somebody directing that camera over there and I had to make interest to you, I, it would take quite a few shows to to get it down pat. It's what schooling was, and I didn't take presentations, so I'm sure it's something you would learn. But You know, I got really good, at least at the presentation side of things, by the time I was you know, presenting the thesis projects. So you have certain seminars where you have to show your progress and things like that. 
because it was really nerve-wracking preparing for those things, but you're so prepared to go into them, you know every single thing that they could possibly ask you. It it really makes things smooth in transition, because I, I honestly winged it through most of school when I was doing those things, especially in you know grade school and high school, which I, I probably wasn't that bad at that either, but it, uh, it when you know what you're doing and you're very sure of yourself, it's very easy to talk confidently, which when it comes to this, I'm not sure if half the things I'm saying are BS, so... Makes it a little bit more difficult. Yeah, we're not exactly the best for fact checking, but it, it is purely conversational. That's what least, the internet's for. At least in this form. If we get, it would be neat to get to the point where we have people commenting saying that you're wrong. It's it's gonna get really bad really fast. I it would imagine. Could. It'd be neat because they're they're gonna say that we're wrong, but like in a very very furious way. I would imagine, especially if it's something they take very seriously. So, which. We could take that advice and stick to our domains of knowledge, but it's more fun to probably say things that are entirely untrue sometimes. Well, the older I get, the more I find my knowledge comes from experience. Um, I've been out of school for a while, five years this year, actually. So every, I mean, it's a long most, time. most learning is from experience, at least with what we do. So my stories and my knowledge, be it real or false, have come from just life lessons. There's a lot more repetition involved in that, too, because in school you just learn the thing once and, you know, you might remember bits and pieces, but if you do something over and over again and learn from that, it's kind of more solid in your memory. That's true. That's why setting up this set every week will be faster and faster. You'll know right where it has to go, as long as we don't keep changing things drastically. <sighs> Well, it'd be nice to have incremental upgrades. I'd really like something to make it feel a bit more sound boothy, like some foam or something, which can work as a backdrop too, because it's pretty generic. It uh, get rid of the echoes. It'll get rid of the sound of running appliances. Things Without the keys. Yeah. I don't want to shut my fridge off. I really don't. I know food. We food is worth keeping the fridge on. Last time I shut. Last time I shut my fridge off. Would have been when we were filming the sitcom pilot, and I think I had keys in, and the two actresses had keys in, so we were we were fairly fairly safe. Mm -hmm. What else could really? The fridge is the biggest one. I don't know. The stove is off. The stove is off. It wouldn't make noise. Air conditioning in the summer. Heater in That's the winter. True. Good thing this house doesn't have very good ventilation. You right. wouldn't hear it if it kicked on at all. That is a good thing. It's one of the good things. When they rent out the house, they can say it's podcast friendly. It could. To an extent. It's a very quiet street, very good neighborhood. It is. We're right in front of the bay window. Nobody drives by, so you can't hear anything. No, no headlights creeping through or anything. No. They think we're doing something because it's a nicely illuminated room. That's, yeah, I guess that's sort of the reaction we got last time. Like, well, at least you know when you're on air. It's true. It's our own on-air light. I want to get one of those. The I don't know how much we want to talk about. I, I won't go into too much detail, though, but we went to a recording studio, What I guess about a month ago or so, mm -hmm. or so now. That's an interesting space to be in. I've never I've been in one before that. I'm sure you've been in places much more similar to that before. Yes. That one was interesting because of how kind of like... And it was a great self. 
built. It's a great self-funded built studio. The last one I was in was on the complete opposite scale in Toronto, mm -hmm. like multi-million dollar recording studio rush. Like yeah. some of the, yeah, some of the big ones. Wow. It was nice. There was a moment when I was at the studio where I got thinking, I am peeing in the same urinal. <laughs> That like it's that true. It's just one men's washroom, so they had to, they had to go uh, without going. Not that it's that big a deal because it's 2018, but um, there are certain gray area rules for recording studios. So if the band is big enough, they will have it in their contract that you know there's certain rules like no smoking inside are allowed. In mm -hmm. the studio, and they won't question what is being smoked because sometimes no. that's all part of the band's process. I imagine it is for a lot of rock bands. So it was neat being there. The room itself, the the main recording room, just unbelievable. Like it was just you walked in and it was completely silent. You couldn't hear anything, and you could almost feel it. Like it was so sealed off. It was really? just still. It. I've wanted to go into one of those rooms before where they, like one of the quietest, quietest rooms in the, on the planet, just because they'd say, you know, you can hear your blood flowing. You can, you take into account so many different sensations you wouldn't normally just because there's no other stimuli around. It, it sort of just sensory deprivation at that point, which sensory deprivation is something I'm interested in by itself, but I'd love to go there anyways, just because I love the idea of being in a room so quiet or just peaceful. And I guess you're, they say your mind starts racing and you just usually panic and leave. It's <laughs> the common result. Yeah, it'd be neat. So one nearby. Yeah. The the interesting part about it, it seems like you could build a pretty good setup like that yourself. And that recording studio we went to seems like something personally I would love to to frame a shed like that. And then you you know you pick out all your your stuff. There's there's drywall that's supposed to reduce noises and all these individual components that go into it. I feel like it'd be a, sort of a fun project. It was such a mix of feelings because when I went there <laughs> and she's like, oh, it's in the back. So I go to the back. It looks like a shed. And I'm looking at the shed. I'm like, it's a big shed. But it's a big shed. I'm like, okay, this is interesting. And then I walk in and it, it was really nicely done. It is by all means professional. With a, it's it's, it's, it's got nice its own washroom. It's got yeah. its own space for every instrument you could imagine. Just a nice little hidden gem that you wouldn't know from the outside at all. Mm -hmm. Which is good because I imagine the equipment in there is worth a fortune, and yes, and all the software involved is worth a lot of money. The software itself is still the most intriguing part to me—the way that you can just record stuff on the fly, and you would have multiple takes of a certain part of the track, and just you set them up so they're all in sync, and you could just flip through them and, and pick which one you want as long as it's relatively close when you press the where like where it started at. It makes music production so quick, I imagine, compared to even where it was 15 years ago. It's incredible. Well, I mean, it's just, I, I don't, I don't know for sure because I'm not, I don't know the technology, but I would assume like with most professional editing programs, the, the, uh, the artificial, auto, the intelligence. artificial intelligence is, is really good. You'd probably be able to sync up similar, similar, uh, tracks and whatnot very easily. So. Almost makes you want to produce music somehow. I don't know what I would do. Not necessarily just be a part of, I guess, making music. I can't play guitar terribly well, but maybe if I had a, a studio where I could play it 15 times and try to get it right, maybe it would be 
maybe you know, work some out. Some people have made a good career about not being able to sing and playing guitar only okay, so you might be okay. <laughs> Save that dream for another lifetime. Yeah, that's that's not something. One guitar class, like, yeah, not not for me. I'm good at other things. I don't have time to. I I love the idea. I think most men and women probably probably have the like romanticized idea of being able to play guitar, being able to be, but I just don't have the time to give it. And I didn't feel like I had the skill for it. I was put into playing guitar pretty young. I think I might've been about 10 years old when I got my first guitar and I was in lessons. I, I would say I peaked in skill probably about three or four years after that. So pretty young still. But the biggest thing that got in the way for me is I, it's sort of the problem of you call it gear acquisition syndrome now with stuff like camera equipment and whatever else we get into. But as a kid, I just never understood why I, I had an electric guitar too. Never sounded right. It never, things would go wrong, you know, things would get dirty and it would sound all fuzzy and what, just things like that getting in the way. And I never understood that it was something that I could maybe fix myself or or save up to buy better equipment or whatever. I just, I got too frustrated with it and just ditched it basically. Also issues with guitar teachers and stuff, eh, not really caring as much about their job as you'd hope that they would, which, eh. but as an adult, it's interesting. Like there's been times when I picked up the guitar and I've just tried to play a song and just learn a song. And it is so much easier to do now as an adult because just something about sticking to it as a kid, if it's, things just seem to be more frustrating and it would be harder to get to the point where you could play it in a way that sounds good enough to, to appreciate. But as an adult, it's a much easier process for some reason. I'm not sure why. There could be a number of reasons. Um, I think that for most skill building processes now, it's a lot easier because the information is so much more readily available. That helps. I mean, tablature back when I was, doing guitar you, you would go to a music store and you could buy a book with maybe songs from a certain band or you, the, you get these really big ones it's like the ultimate guitar book it's got you know like 150 songs and it's this huge book it's pretty good but it's kind of exclusive just due to the price it's kind of hard to get many of those and by the time you go through it you maybe like five songs in there that you really want to play through and never get as much out of it as you would want to but now you just search up tab and you can get any song you want and you get different interpretations as, as to how to play it. So if you don't like one, you go to somebody else's. Yep. No, that's that's true. And the summer after my guitar class, I tried with the tabs just to keep going. But yeah, it's it's definitely easier to do. And I think if I sat down, I could probably be okay. Um, but it's not on my horizon right now. They say that there's lots of psychological and like learning benefits to doing that. People that play a musical instrument tend to be a little bit more i don't know what the word would exactly be perceptive of things a little more alert i i'm interested in that science i mean i'd probably play it just for those benefits alone if i could find a find concrete evidence for it because it's kind of fun to do but again finding the time can be an issue i want to learn another language that that's is what i want to learn <laughs> i think that's something that everybody tries to pick up at some point in their life and it just gets to the point where you get things yeah, get in the way and then you you forget every all the progress you've made at that point and, and you have to start over again if you want to do it later I, like i did french in high school up till grade nine so i did i mean, did yeah. it all the way through i did the same and it, it was okay i was never bilingual i was never fluent in it but i i guess i understood it but 
learning experience for me would, and it'd be interesting to, to try to do it again. Um, like when we went to Cuba, mm. they, they would speak broken English. So you could kind of get around with English more or less, if not completely fine. It, it wasn't bad too. Cause I would say I learned more Spanish in the time that I was in Cuba that I've learned French in the that's, entire that's, history. That's of just grade the, school. the point I was getting at. So being forced into those situations is where it matters. I think when I was in Italy, didn't think to learn any type of Italian. No. And go there and, oh, well, I guess what? Like that, that isn't orange juice. That's grapefruit juice. I guess that means grapefruit. You just pick up, pick up things. Again, learning from the experience. And then when we were off on the days we weren't working, you learned how to get to the subway. You learned how to get to the stop. You tried to pick up and figure it out. And then once you learned it, it kind of went. We learned how to get to the restaurant. So by the end, I was, as I said, I wasn't bilingual. I wasn't no. fluent. But if I had to ask where a washroom was, I could do it. If I had to ask where the subway was, I could do it. If I had to ask where the Pope was, I could do it. Hopefully you don't have to ask where he is because I'll point to the Vatican. Well, yes. <laughs> that was more. But no, I, I think that it's a good crash course into learning a language is actually just going. As long as they don't find it insulting that you don't know their language. I people. I mean, we have to put up with tourists who don't know our language all the time and it it doesn't really matter for the most part unless you have to do serious interaction with them for a long-term basis in which it can be frustrating but i don't think it's that big of a deal we do have the advantage of being one of the latin based languages in the world english so there's a lot of places we can go and if it's not english at least it's somewhat similar you know same text it's true if you wanted to go to say russia or something like that Learning to read Cyrillic or something would be an entire... You, you would have to probably just learn the words. You would have no idea how to write that down. At least you could try to sound something out with Italian or Spanish. Yeah, it's that's very, true. very different. And never mind that that's... You could think of a lot of different languages in Asia, too, would be extremely complex and entirely different ways that they're structured. You know, one word in their language might signify a sentence to us, and it's just this weird concept to, to get around. When I was doing baby photos, I always wanted to learn some sort of Indian speak, like Punjabi or something like that. Yeah. But I never never got around to it because I think it'd be neat to at least... Know when they're bad-mouthing you? Know when they're bad-mouthing, <laughs> but when you're selling the photos and whatnot, they're like, excuse us, and they stand there and they talk yeah. in their language. They're automatically assuming that you I don't know, know how to speak it. So that would be interesting. But because there's no guarantee what they'd speak, I'd still be running at like a 20 to 25%. I'm assuming they're similar in language. So if I learned Punjabi, I'd be able to, to work my way possibly. I've learned a little bit about the languages in India, and I think there's m more dialects in that country than pretty much any... I don't know what they were comparing it to necessarily, but every single area has a very different way of speaking, actually. And I don't, okay, so and, but I know that there are certain languages in the middle that sort of tie things together. And English is, is one of them in India. So well, that's, that's what I learned. I learned there is a high, high population of English speaking Indians. Probably and, due to the British occupation yeah. and things like that. But I never got around to it, but I thought it'd be cool because I'm sure there were certain times where they were insulting me. And yes. If I knew and if I could reply back saying, you know what, I'm not a fat white man, that would be that would be brilliant. 
they'd probably go pale real quick. <laughs> <laughs> or they would argue, like, really? You're, you're not? Oh. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. They'd, they'd be surprised at the very least. Because as I said, every time you go in, they're like, excuse us. And they stand there. They're automatically disqualifying me, saying, thinking that I don't know how to speak it. So, And technically, they'd be right. But mm-hmm. still, it's not nice. No. If you're servicing a specific area where that lang- you know, certain language is very common, at least you could do that and you'd be better off. Although, if you're servicing Toronto, the Toronto area, you're out of luck. They're going to learn Italian, Punjabi, Cantonese. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just about I mean, everything. It'd be impossible. Mm-hmm. But uh, what is it? Who did, Was it Google? Who has that... Uh, that um the translate on the fly feature the translator on the fly but the the new earpiece or whatever somebody came out with something that was like real time almost the little the yeah the bluetooth speakers that came out with the same time as the i think the pixel 2 was announced those i believe those have the feature to translate on the fly approximately which but that that, i mean we're heading i'm talking about the world getting smaller we're heading into Mm -hmm. a situation where it could happen in one language it's an interesting way in which the internet's probably the biggest globalizing factor we've seen in you know our lifetimes but that would change the game again because now you don't just have people that can communicate through you know translators and things like that across the world you you could just go anywhere you want and understand and integrate much better into any society whether it be on vacation or if you're going to live somewhere for a long time that's true. And it requires no learning on your part, so it's very open to anybody that can afford that kind of product. If they if they turn them into like hearing aids, like just really small, mm-hmm. they put it and if it was all it, that's the hard part. Is it'd be a hundred percent perfect, like in Toronto, if it could tell what language the person was speaking. Even if there was just a slight delay. And then that way you didn't have to switch it, because in Toronto it'd be really hard. You, you don't know, think it auto switches? I don't think it does. No. I think I mean if you're going to Cuba, you Spanish. know Spanish. Yeah. If you're going to Toronto, it's a mix. It's a mix. Yeah. So you're talking to somebody and you're like, "Well, sorry, what language do you speak?" That's not going to work. I mean, you could, but it's true. How often do you find yourself speaking to people that can speak almost no English really out of a job, you know, out of a out of a job? Scenario? Yeah, not not really. Casual interaction here and there, and maybe somebody on the subway or something, but that's about it. And even then, if they assume that you only speak English, they probably don't want to talk to you. No. People are very forgiving when it comes... Like, even if... It, it seems like people really do want to learn English when they come here, which is quite a nice thing. I know in a lot of the other countries, foreigners would come in and sort of segregate themselves from everybody else a lot more, but... It's not why you come to Canada. No. You come to Canada, because we're one big, happy family. <laughs> More or less. More or less. They are looking to change the national anthem, though. That's already been passed, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More gender inclusive. Yeah, but what was it going to be? And all our people's command? We could look it up, I guess. We could. Which, again, it's another thing. The research. It'd be. I would be interested in knowing what it is. I don't. Is it going to be. Is it just going to be open to male and female or is it going to go the whole gender 
studies route and go with something that's a lot more in all new our... age. I'd, I'd be really interested in seeing that. Oh, Canada, National Anthem. I want to get at least a semi-reputable source. CBC. Semi-reputable. I would hope so. Senate Tax passes a bill to make O Canada lyrics general neutral. I believe the Canadian public wanted to wanted to say in our national anthem, which I've seen online. A lot of people are like, it's fine the way it is. It's It's, it's been a thing I think that's been debated oh. for at least, I think, six years is what I heard. And they've been trying to pass it for the a while. The House of Commons overwhelmingly passed a private member's bill in 2016 that would alter the national... What is this from? Oh, it's from February 1st. That would... Uh, alter the national anthem by replacing in all thy sons command with in all of us command. Okay. As part of a push to strike gendered language from O Canada. Since 1980, when O Canada officially became the country's national anthem, 12 bills have been introduced to the house to strip the gender references to sons, which some have argued is discriminatory. All attempts have failed until now. Now, what about the religious element? Mentions God. It's not specific about which God, but that's true. It, it was actually changed before, anyways. It was. When when was the last time that it was changed? Nineteen oh eight. Well, actually, well that no, was, it wasn't changed. Was in nineteen oh eight? Made that's when it was world, written. Yeah, Song and it was, was used for World War One. Nineteen oh eight, including an update that dates back before the First World War. Okay, when the author added the line that sparked so much debate. Uh, he changed, oh, he added the line before the war. Originally it was, thou dost in us command to in all thy sons command. So Yeah, which makes more sense for modern English. You know what? This is something that's existed before we even had a flag as a country, as one we recognize today. So this is going back a long time as far as an anthem goes. I can't remember the last time I sang the national anthem. <laughs> Probably some court. kind of sporting event. I don't. Even, I, even then, it's fair enough like, to say that I didn't. I used sing to it. sing in high school. Or I used to sing in school. Oh yeah. But, I mean, I've stood up for it, but I. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just humble along. That's what I do in church too. <laughs> it's, it's this strange thing where, I would say, Canada has a very muted sort of patriotism. We, we seem to have a lot of things we identify with, as far as. I would say they're more political ideas, like we're very multicultural and all these all these different things. But as far as being really proud of Canada and this vague concept of like a national anthem and all that, people aren't going to say that you're unpatriotic just for not singing along with the national anthem or something along those lines. It's not too seriously taken, I think. I think if you stand at attention, what if you don't? Your hat, that's true. But then you're going. I don't into think I would the, care. I don't know. I've never I've never thought about it. Nobody ever tried to do that in school. <laughs> Nobody. Yeah, that's true. Everybody did stand. I, I don't know. It's, you're told to stand. There's being proud of your country is important. Uh, you you live here. To you be debated. Here. Hmm? Lots of people would debate that, but I like it in Canada. I, I do like it too. Um, and I, I don't know. I don't, I don't have a problem with it. I've never lived anywhere else. Nope. So. I guess it does sort of have a narrow perspective of things. Less narrow than other people, though, because you, you've, you've at least traveled. I think anybody who traveled, I have met people who haven't left Ontario. 
Like, just think of that. Like, it's not differences between certain countries can be quite shocking in the sense that if you go to the States, literally everyone in the States is going to feel similar enough to here. I mean, you know, it's a little bit different of a climate, but as far as the way things go politically and the way that you interact with anything, you know, the way you would get transportation or something is very similar. We went to Cuba but there, last there'd be, year. There'd be small differences in the States though. Same thing in Cuba, yeah. like even just being in the room and listening to TV, like that always amazed me how many drug commercials there were. Just every commercial, in the drug, States. drug, 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 drug. Yes. In American TV. So there'd be, there'd be small differences. Yes, they'd be predominantly similar, but there'd be, there'd be changes. We'd be going gallons instead of liters, which isn't a big deal, but it would, no, it would, it, it is just subtle differences. In Canada, we're a very unit of measure fluid. We <laughs> tend to use just about everything, I suppose. It, I guess Canada used miles as the increment for distance when traveling, I think sometime in the 70s and before, which I heard recently that a lot of people were complaining that the, the speed limits actually used to be higher on a lot of our major highways. It was something like 70 miles an hour, which is sounds, I, I would like to fact check that person because that's pretty quick. Yeah, I didn't know that. Especially in 70s cars. Yeah. You would think theoretically the speed limit should event like occasionally raise because cars become more aerodynamic they're able to it's to a handle it it's a heck better. of a debate because there's lots of people that would compare you could look at roads where the speed limit did change over time and you could compare accident history in those and whether or not there were fatal collisions things like that and a lot of people that are trying to argue for raising speed limits would say look there's been no increase in the accidents accident deaths are going you know, they'd be going up for whatever reason in certain areas. Maybe they're going down, but it's pretty much it can't be linked necessarily to just the speed. It's as weird too. I mean, the way that we drive is a lot based on conditions, especially in the winter. Almost nobody's got to get over the speed limit on, it, especially back roads in, in at least where we live in southern Ontario. Well, I know back roads are unbelievably horrible, <sighs> even with just a little bit of snow, blowing snow. Oh. Yeah, a lot of a lot of flat areas where the fields, you know, the snow just blows right over the road. You can't see the lines or anything. I have been because I, I I know my way around, so I take back roads. And there there was I was in the I can't remember, but I was in the falls and I was driving to Welland and I took a back way, and it hadn't snowed that day, so I didn't even think about it. No. And I almost went in the ditch like three times, just from blowing snow and just. Nobody had taken it. It was basically fresh snow mm -hmm. on the ground. So I'm driving through like almost a foot of snow just gone. It was not fun. No. No. I can imagine it wouldn't be. So. I don't kind of defeat. Yeah, it would defeat the argument a little bit for raising the speed limit because people just assume that people would drive at that. But Canadians have a little bit more sense than that, hopefully. I don't know. You, you could pick certain highways out that are very well maintained where you would think a modern vehicle, let's just say anything built after 2005 or so, somewhere around there, perfectly capable of traveling speeds is probably like 160 kilometers an hour wouldn't without we, any wouldn't, issue. Wouldn't you think there'd also be a, like a optimum because every, every car for fuel efficiency. fuel efficiency. Now that's typically slower. Well, pretty much as slow as you can get it in many regards. I don't, I, I I like crunching a lot of numbers and running spreadsheets on things like that. My car doesn't compute anything 
automatically for me, unfortunately, but I know a lot of them will tell you your instantaneous efficiency. And there's a big tip off, at least I've, I've driven an F-150 where if you're doing about 90 kilometers an hour, you're using, you're saving pretty much 15% of the fuel that you would get if you were driving at 110, for instance. So it's it's quite a substantial difference. It's it's an exponential factor when you're coming when you're factoring in for wind resistance. So so it, it gets up there pretty quick. Hmm. But but it might matter less for certain vehicles. And you would see very little of a difference. Just think if they change the speed limit. I know for a fact there are certain drivers who their mentality would be, oh, you know what? They increased it to a buck forty. Now I'm going to do a buck seventy. Sure. So um, it's all. But with automation, it comes a little bit different of a perspective. What if there's some kind of government program goes beyond speed cameras, beyond all the stuff, and it just it'll track your vehicle speed no matter where you are. And you know, if you if you go above it for too long, ticket. And at that point, you could assure that nobody's going to drive crazy fast over what the speed limit is, and people could probably drive quicker in certain, or it could give you even updates. You could think of signs that would change, but maybe it's just your car's navigation system that says, hey, today conditions are great, speed limit's 145, and that's where you, what you can get up to on certain stretches. And, you know, the bend comes up, it'll automatic. you could set it to automatically take your speed down and just make it automatic, automated at that point. That's fair. I think, I don't think we'll have to worry about anything like that because I think the self-driving movement, people, people, we're not necessarily lazy, but I think if the self-driving thing really takes off in every consumer-type car, and you can just sit back and let it, uh, like, let it do the driving on the highway, everybody would be spaced out the perfect amount. Everybody would be spaced out the perfect way, and yes, because everybody's spaced out. If you eliminated all non-self-driving cars and it was all based on a computer system, you could potentially do faster speeds because straight stretches and things like that it's all it's all just based on a computer process <laughs> and i i think even if it only stayed at 110 100 or 120 or whatever depending on where you're driving you give people the 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 automatic way to go i wonder if the the new cars do could like uh cap your cap your speed on the highway just physically you, if you push the pedal down it doesn't go any further yeah it's not going any faster mm -hmm. no car like that is currently well i don't i don't know if you could set it to that but no car currently does that there's there's cars with limiters in place but it's usually well beyond the speed maybe the car's limited to 200 kilometers an hour that's twice the speed limit anyways on the highway so it's not restrictive in that sense i get nervous driving behind transport trucks i'll speed past them yeah no i that's that's the general rule of thumb. Police don't tend to look too hard in your direction if you if you're passing at a fairly excessive speed. They don't care as much, but of course they have every right to get in your business if if they decide that you're going too fast to pass because you're still not allowed to break the speed limit. I mean, every see, I have never on the highway, but I have dealt with two police officers. Um, one in a speed trap and one I was just speeding mm -hmm. and both times I wasn't busy. I, I mean, I wasn't in a hurry. I just, just a little bit too hard on the gas. Yeah. The first time 
was the speed trap and they were very nice. They were like, you're young. I was young. I was just, I just graduated. So it was 21. Okay. 21. And they're like, you, you stopped when we said to stop because it was a speed trap. You pulled over, you had everything ready. You're nice. You weren't mad. We don't like tarnishing people's records. So there's no demerit points. There's no nothing. This is the fine. You can pay it because you're a student. There was even a deferment or something. Like you didn't have to pay really? it completely. Yeah. Huh. The next time, it was just a cop that pulled me over. Now, that one was worse because I was actually speeding a little bit more. Again, same thing. He's like, you pulled over. You did. You, you, <laughs> How often do you think people don't? I, I have no idea. But like, he was like, you pulled over right away. Okay. You're friendly. You're young. We don't. I, I. Everybody, when they're young, drives a little quick. I don't want to hurt your record. Take it. Fine. This is this catches me a bit off guard because you of all people speeding. I. That's why I don't. When I first. Okay. <laughs> well, when I first met you, like Tila, especially was, was on you a lot about. That's why I don't speed. And now I'll be a little bit more aggressive. Aggressive? At, I, I won't go, again, unless I'm passing a truck, I won't go past 120. And I'm fine with that. Tila doesn't complain anymore, so there's merit there. <laughs> Nobody complains anymore, so that's okay. But no, I I mean, both both times probably happened within a in like a year and that was four years before i met you so it's been a long time and i guess those tickets would be off your record probably by now so low insurance rates low insurance rates actually it was it sucked when i was doing baby photos when i got more insurance because i was working out of my car it was 320 bucks a month pretty high it was pretty high that was for the first year, and I don't know why. I guess they were being nice, or because I was still well under twenty-five. Second year dropped down to one hundred and sixty. Like it was just like an introductory. We're going to screw you, insurance. Be sure about it before. Yeah. No. And even then, I think they knew I was lying. I wasn't that's, lying to them, but that's an interesting thing. Cause I, I don't know. From what I understand, there's certain places, maybe even in America, where you don't even need insurance to drive, which that'd be a huge cost savings as far as like, in Canada, everybody must be insured. I mean, mm-hmm. and the fine for not being insured is, I think, about $6,000 approximately, which is about the price of a young driver trying to get insured on their own vehicle. So <laughs> if you get caught once in a year, it's kind of the same amount of money, but... <sighs> It's expensive. It is expensive. For young drivers, mostly. They get hit unfairly, in my opinion, but I'm sure that insurance companies have some kind of mathematical way of showing that's, that's what the rate should be for them. It's a tricky yeah. thing. Yeah, the insurance wouldn't be... wouldn't be... It'd be interesting to see the algorithms and whatnot, but I think the stereotype, and I don't know if it's true, but like male drivers under yes. 25... Oh, yes. Uh, that one is true. There's certain, I mean, there's myths about, you know, certain your car color mattering, things like that. But, but I will say, I am pretty sure, because I've never been pulled over in the car I have now. Yes. Only in the one I had before. What did you use to drive? <laughs> uh, nothing manly either. It was a Chevy Optra. Okay. But 
This one, so I'm told, is a little bit more elderly, which I'm fine with. Yeah. But I wonder if it helps on the road, if they're going to, because theoretically, if they're going to pull somebody over that's speeding, if a uh, Dodge Challenger is going a buck. Yeah, versus uh, uh, me just driving an old crappy Impala. Yeah. Who, who are they going to try to catch? I don't know. I feel as though it's, they'd go off. It's this weird situation because you're you're dealing with the biases of police officers specifically, which of course you'd like to think I'm that there's okay a, with a, them thinking I'm an old man. Yeah, you'd like to think they have as little bias as possible, but everybody does, of course. So just because we think that way doesn't necessarily mean that they would, but perhaps. But no, that's. I I wonder if it has anything to do with the car, but I'm okay with it. I did. It was, I, there was one time where I knew I wasn't doing anything wrong, but I have a really guilty conscience. I drove underneath an overpass and there was a cop there. Mm -hmm. I knew the cop was there, but her lights came on and I pulled over. Yeah. Because I was the last one. No, she had just waited for somebody else. And so she just drove past me. So I was just (laughs) really nice to her and pulled off the highway for her, thinking that she was coming after me. But she wasn't. So it's that it's interesting. I can recall a situation where I came over the, the Skyway Bridge over Hamilton. And when you get to the peak of the bridge, because it's very high up, you can see, I would say, probably three kilometers ahead of you. And the moment I crested that it was I was beside a car. The car was speeding past me, I would say. And it had just passed me as I got to the, the top of the bridge. I, I myself was probably a little, speeding a little bit, but the, that guy compared to my speed must have been going probably 140, somewhere around there, maybe a little bit higher. And as soon as he crested over, or as soon as I crested over, I saw him and I saw a cop about <laughs> a kilometer up the road. The car was in the left-hand lane, and the moment the officer who was sitting on the side of the road put their lights on, that car moved over one lane, moved over the next lane, and pulled over just in front of the cop. Cop did not even move. <laughs> he knew he was no. busted. <laughs> like, if you're doing it just to do it, you know you're caught. Yeah. I wonder if that helped him any leniency. Well, I mean, as I yeah. said, you pulled over right away. Without even being, without st- even, with the cop coming up behind him or anything. Uh, a ex-girlfriend of mine, her brother got pulled over once, and he was in police foundations. I don't know. If he continued, I don't know what happened there. You're not supposed to have any type of record while doing policing. No. Driving records included. I went to school with somebody. Not for non-criminal offenses as well. Like, let's see. Get they, 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 they don't like it. No. It's, it's not a good thing. I went to school with somebody who was in police foundation. She got a DUI and she was like yeah. immediately thrown out. Yes, absolutely. Like, gone. But that is a criminal offense at yes. this point. Gone, like disappeared from existence within 48 hours. Hmm. Speeding tickets are the... It's not really criminal to speed. It's breaking traffic. Eh. Well, it depends. If you're speeding... Because there's there's different violations, right? I suppose. They, they'd probably shoehorn you in with something else if you were... Like, there's racing you know and what? things like that. That's why. You're right. The traffic ticket, no problem. Except he was going, like, 150 yeah. on the highway. So we got a, pulled him a racing ticket. Yes. And the cop said, you realize I can impound the vehicle. Yep. And he told the officer, this is what he told us. We were actually in Cuba at the time, so he had to call us to say, you know, 
And it was on April 1st, so we thought he was joking. Of course. He told the officer he had to poop. And he was racing home. Uh. Mix that with the fact that he started to cry, saying that he was in a police foundations course and he'd be thrown out and whatnot. Ooh. The officer reduced the ticket, so I guess he did get a ticket. So Yes. But he, like... I'm not an attractive crier. I could, like, I, I don't know. <sighs> the police are not going to respond that well to that from what I've no. heard. No, probably should. But because he had to poop. That was enough. Mm-hmm. So keep that in your back pocket just in case. Don't, do, don't put that in your back pocket. <laughs> Absolutely not. That's funny, though. <sighs> I think we should probably talk about some of the articles that you have printed off. Just so we have a little bit of structure to it. Or is that the stuff from last week? This time? is the stuff from last week. Damn. Well, some of the some of the stuff we actually didn't... relates to what we were talking about. Um, I'll get rid of the ones we talked about. You can possibly tune in to last week's show to catch up on the other ones. Um, I was talking about other people's news that they've already broken themselves, and it's probably dated at this point. Well, this one's from January 24th. It's just interesting, and it is what we were talking about. Okay. Uh, survey says trust in self-driving cars is growing because that was that was a big thing for a while. People are like, they wouldn't relinquish the control to a automated thing, which rightly so. There's still bugs to be worked out. I've seen Tesla that, autopilot do really scary things in some YouTube videos. And there's that ethical issue where who's at fault? Well, who all? Yeah, who's at fault? But the I remember listening on the radio because it was the first time that I actually realized it was making a good point. If you're driving mm -hmm. towards like a, fork, a oh, theoretical fork in the road this, and there's a wall at the end of one side of the fork that will kill you, yes, or you're going to hit six people, what does the car do? It's a good question. And I don't know if Tesla or anybody else has given an answer about that. And I remember that survey saying most people would want it to hit the wall. But then when asked if they would buy an electric car, nope. No. <laughs> or a self-driving car. <sighs> so apparently the trust is growing. Um, See, you would hope it would opt for self-preservation, but then there'd be the headline, Tesla mows down six people on autopilot, mm -hmm. which eh, from a company's perspective, they'd probably prefer you hit that wall. That's true. Yeah. Uh, Self-driving technology has been inching its way into the public conversation over a few years now, but Americans' misgivings about relinquishing control to a machine have taken a seat next to all the excitement surrounding what an autonomous future could hold. Those widely held fears may finally be starting to ease, according to a new research from AAA. Compared to 2016, 2016's findings, a AAA's annual consumer survey, 15% more drivers say that they would feel safe in a fully autonomous vehicle. Um, that's 20 million more U.S. drivers. Four. It's not bad. I know that sales compared I, compared to availability have been quite good on cars with autonomous features. And you can could, you could think of it a bit more widespread than just stuff like Tesla's autopilot. I know a lot of Toyotas. They, they, I've test-driven the RAV4 and a couple others that have the a system in place for like if you're going out of your lane it'll it'll 
tell that, you know, it'll just steer you back into the mm -hmm. right direction, which is kind of useful. Or it'll tell you if things are in your blind spot or and you can do radar guided cruise control in some vehicles, which has been a thing that's been out for a very long time. So it's, there are lots of little automated things that do not entirely require you to relinquish control. But again, I'd like to, it also defeats the purpose still because people have to remain in that seat, and, and you can use Tesla as an example again, you have to interact with the car in some way yep. over every you know set amount of time just to show that you are behind the wheel. And not asleep or anything like that. And you can still be charged with uh, distracted driving. Mm -hmm. So just because still you're Still be charged with impaired driving yep. and things like that too. Which, at least from my perspective, I'm not so interested in that system until I could fully relinquish control and, I don't know, write a report or something like that behind the wheel or take a nap. That well, that's, that's very true. I was talking about it the other day in the sense that eventually, and I think, I think it makes sense. Owning cars isn't going to be a necessity. Yeah. It's a futurist that where you just, you would have an app, you know, schedule your car to come pick you up in the morning. Can you yep. go to work? Take you to work. It'll be completely self-driving. If you think about it, like the, the amount of, Depending on the work you're doing, the amount of extra work you could get done in that 20 minute, like you'd be an extra 20 minutes of work, 30 minutes, depending on what yeah. the, the drive was, you could, you could really help efficiency. Absolutely. And you could sort of, from a financial perspective, if it's not going to be, it might be a bit price gougy to begin with, just to, just as they're feeling out how much they should charge for sort of thing. You could factor in things like it's not your vehicle, so whatever company is doing this could factor in the the maintenance of the vehicle, all the cost for fuel. They're going to pick fuel efficient vehicles and all that. You would basically get the benefit of pricing everything out over time instead of oh my car is broken down, I need to put three thousand oh, exactly. dollars worth of a new engine in or something. Because it, it would it would all be relative. So if you think that a drive from here to St. Catharines, so a twenty minute drive costs X. Mm -hmm. And if there's costs similar to what X would be, there'd be really no... There might be a little bit of an issue in the, the public side because people are going to assess, say, their own car and say, oh, it only takes me $3 of gas to make that trip. But but the company's going to assume, okay, you know, $3 of gas, We but the car is going to and from, and there's maintenance and all these things. That's and true. Over time, and they're going to make a bigger price up front. But that's dependent on what vehicle they use as the self-driving. If you have somebody who says, well, it only takes, it only uses $3 in gas and it's a car, that's an older model that may not be more efficient in gas or the most efficient in gas. The newer models may actually be able to eat up some of that markup in the fact that they're more efficient. And yes, there'd be a, there'd be a, like a service charge and whatnot. But theoretically, if, it, if eventually if, it probably wouldn't be at first, but eventually it probably would be cost effective enough that people would say, how can I afford to drive my own car? I have to, to just use a service. If somebody told me today that for. You have to crunch the numbers, don't you? You have to look at the, have to crunch the, the money you've put into your vehicle, the, all these little pieces of maintenance here and there, the time that you lose. Mm -hmm. You say, oh, I'm worth this amount of money per hour. What if I spend that working while going to work? You know, writing something down or, or well, being self-employed, that's okay. It is. <laughs> it is. Um, the, the gas thing would be the, 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 the question, but if, I don't know, that's, 
that being said, once it goes electric, then like if they were complete, it, it'd be it'd be interesting. But I think that's the way it would go. It's it would a just be better be Netflix for cars. It's a better system for electric, in my opinion, because you can think of the logistics of a car. If you have no human react like interaction with this thing, as far as it being serviced goes, to get a car to come back to a station and fill up on gas is probably more difficult than, than it driving over an induction pad where it's going to top up the battery. Plus with there's certain advantages too, where if this car is going around, it, it knows it can make a certain amount of trips based on how much battery it has. And then if we're using say lithium ion technology, the first half of the battery charges really quick. And then, you know, the latter half is going to slowly build up, but you could essentially have cars always just charging up to maybe half, go out to do a couple trips and come back. And it, it, you could really use the most efficient side of that battery, even though we still have the limitations of lithium ion batteries, which, you know, they're great in our cell phones, but they're extremely costly, extremely heavy, and probably not going to last that long as far as things like in your in your Tesla. I, I think there's a system for like switching up batteries on, on long trips that's supposed to be put in place. I don't know, like if, let's say you're on a road trip, you didn't have time to stop somewhere to charge. You could just, there'd be a, a Tesla station that's that you go and do. drop it in. I don't know if that's inactive anywhere because I don't think you can take the batteries out that easily in a, in a car like that. It's a very closed system. It... The best part about doing this podcast is we'll be able to look back and see what we did not know now That's and true. what has happened in the future. Um, it's going to be exciting. The I saw it on Facebook at Christmas time, like Tesla giving their clients a like a, a Christmas show that somebody had bought. I think it was Tesla. Again, not really good at the whole uh, fact checking, mm-hmm. but it was a Facebook video. There was a bunch of people saying, look at this. And on their Tesla phone, there was, or on their phone, there was like on the Tesla app, like a holiday greetings from Tesla. And they pushed the button and they're in front of their car and the speakers started playing Christmas music and the car started dancing. So the, the, uh, the doors would open and shut. Like it was, it was running like a full That's Christmas weird. demo. Wow. Christmas. Yeah. It's kind of neat to see a little weird. But, Pretty weird. But kind of neat to see the fact that it was able to do that. It was kind of running everything. What if something's beside your door and just opens and bang? I think it might have warned them. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. Warning, get to an open space and yeah. get out of your car. But you, Okay, you would think that if the doors are self-opening, they would have some sort of sensor. Yeah, so, I didn't. That makes sense. Um, Probably not foolproof, but... And Tesla, at least with the new car if i remember right it has a fully self-driving feature every car comes standard with it but it's locked until you pay the software upgrade it's like dlc for cars it is that's no. exactly what it is nobody wants that oh. <laughs> pay for features that you already have well they exist but you just have to pay to turn them on and it is like I mean, if you're buying a Tesla, I guess it's not a giant expense, but it's like an extra six grand. So for the price of a, like a good chunk of of a regular car. Maybe it'll get more competitive over time in the sense that like you used to have to, what was it? I don't know how Mac OS X still does it, but you would pay for incremental upgrades, small amounts at a time, I imagine. And then I know- yeah, I would imagine you don't add same with Windows. I think pretty much anybody who's bought anything Windows 7 and past, you would get an automatic update 
and you, you could get to the newest version of Windows. So with more competitors on the road for people like all these cars with software updates, maybe it'll just become open source or something like that, which is scary because it's probably more susceptible. Yeah, that, to I, I, I don't know about that. Yeah. We could, but again, I don't know what I was listening to, but talking about how the car company should open up the code for public scrutiny because you're putting it's not Google you're putting the potential customers lives at risk in your hands yeah. so having the code that drives the vehicle public at least for the people that can understand it they'd be able to go through and potentially go through problems Google does that in the sense that if you find a glitch in, in their I don't know if it's, I don't know what the, the I think most the products are. they sell. If you could hack into something and you offer that sort of, sort of like blackmail, but in a more, well, Google will pay you for standard. it. They have a, they have an option where they yes. say, if you find a glitch, you'll, you'll get paid for it. Hmm. Um, I did that in my high school. You found a glitch. I was able to make hundreds and hundreds of photocopies for free. Really? Mm -hmm. And I don't understand how it worked, but I no, figured just we could do it. Fair enough. Not too many. It was 2009. Not too many people had laptops in school. In 2009? Mm -hmm. in, in my country high school, not yeah. too many people had personal laptops. I had just got my MacBook. Oh, I think a lot of people had laptops, at least when I, because I was also in school in 2009. And nobody brought them. That was the thing. I, I think I took, I would take a laptop to, to class. I'd be the only person there taking notes that way. I brought mine because none of the classes had Apple. And since the majority of my final year was learning how to edit on Final Cut, it was more efficient for me to bring mine and edit on mine. Mm -hmm. Granted, my first laptop or my first foray into Final Cut personally was Final Cut Express, not Final Cut Pro. Is Express a much lighter version no, of the software? No. Fine. I mean, it was. It was advertised. Basically, Final Cut Express was exactly the same, minus a few small things, but I don't know exactly what was missing, as Final Cut Pro, but you were missing the studio package, so you didn't get the uh, the the like after like the effects stuff and whatnot, the three D rendering. It was just the editor. So it's still a great program if you weren't going to be doing any of the, there was like a font and type generated, like Final Cut Studio. Hmm. So, but that was my first, my first um, editing, it's mobile editing. And I had the laptop and there was no Wi-Fi in school. So laptop was just a that like yeah even yeah. even when I was in university Brock University's Wi-Fi system was a little bit Niagara dated. Wi-Fi sucked. Yeah, I it was really good by the time I had left. You pretty much had seamless internet. Like you could walk anywhere on campus and stay connected, but it was still a little bit glitchy when I was a student at first. So I was in wanted Wi-Fi or wanted internet. So I thought I'll take one of the. Uh, one of the cords out of the back of the work computers I'll plug it in my computer and it worked yes until one of the technicians came into the room because they noticed yep. that a computer with a different name had popped up I used to do that in high school too actually mm -hmm. so what I did is I named the same my computer the same one as that Ooh. plugged it in 
Nobody came. No. Started looking through stuff. I had network, like... Access to... Network access. But because I had bypassed the student login, I didn't have to pay for prints. First book I ever wrote, I printed off, like, multiple copies. That's amazing. So it's a 300-page book. Oh, no. And then I told them about it. Well, I guess it is in their financial interest to know about said workaround. I said I did it. Yep. I figured you guys might want to know about it. So, yeah, that was, that's the most exciting hacking I've done. And it wasn't, it was by accident. That's, but it's just neat that they didn't take that into account. It's a bit more useful than what I, I, I just remember going on both high school and, and university computers and just seeing what you could, because none of them let you download things or install things. But there was always workarounds. I would be able to get certain games to run. You know, I remember I got Minecraft to run on Brock University computers and things like that. It's just something you do for the sake of, hey, I can do this. I don't want to sit there and play it necessarily. The Joe Rogan podcast on Scientology, there was a, there was an older gentleman who was talking about how he got his son in with Scientology. I can't remember his name. You might have heard it. It was a good podcast. You okay. should go back. I'll try to find it for you. I don't recall it, so I don't think I've seen it. He was talking about how deep he was in. And they control your electronics. You're allowed to have it, but they put, they uh, block websites. You're only allowed to go through like what they want you to see. Hmm. And he said, one day, you didn't even know about it until you, you checked. The only way they didn't block it is when you were looking for a definition of something on his tablet or whatever, and it would bring up a separate browser. That browser wasn't blocked. Oh. So with that, he was able to... Google things and figure out things and he left. <laughs> That's weird because you would have to turn your devices over to them. Mm-hmm. Huh. Again, I, I don't want to, I don't have the, the 100% knowledge of it. I'm just going based on memory, but that's devices, stuff like that. That's that's a weird thing, having to go and volunteer or whatever every day. It's way too personal to just hand over your phone like that. Well, if you're involved in the religion, that's what you believe, kind of but... No, so breaking breaking software is is fun. It is. I'd like to maybe get into coding more. I've for anybody who is into coding, I've, I know a little bit with about R, which is mostly used to process large bits of data and things. Like that. It's, it's very interesting as far as spreadsheets and things like that go. But but I don't know much. Maybe a little bit of Python, and that's about it. Which was in school, we just edited photos with a you know. A line of text, or it, it was very useless. I could, I could my get my way through HTML. Like if you, I, I, I would understand it because again, went to school a little bit for it, but I, I would like to learn how to do like three D modeling, like from, like I, I don't know, three D modeling. Well, like three D. I don't, I don't know. You well. I can't think of an instance where I would do that at the at the coding level. You, there's lots of good applications for that. Like, I, I really like a subscription to AutoCAD, but it is so expensive. It you could I, I think I'm thinking mostly for like drafting construction projects and I use the Sims. Like the Sims. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there's a lot of customizability in the Sims. <sighs> um. 
Yeah, there is. There is a lot of customizability. Not it's not to scale or anything like that. But I've never I've never played The Sims just because I see everybody who does and they just fall down the rabbit hole of worrying about their virtual world way too much. Oh, I play occasionally, but I I haven't played in nine months. Like it, it's there, and I'll go back to it for a little bit. Hmm. I'll write a novel in the sims i'll feel an accomplishment write a novel how does how does that process work in the sims you go to you, am i you just go to school to be nope the character that i have has a very high writing skill okay. his name jesse <laughs> and see living go, living a virtual version of yourself yeah but i'm not concerned about it i suppose because i know when i turn it off it's off so it's not progressing. If it was constantly progressing, it needed my upkeep. But I stay away from that. Like all the Farmville stuff, I don't need it. Um, but no, you go to a computer. You can choose what type of genre of novel you want to write. And it writes itself? It, yeah, but it's not actually like a written novel. It's just in the game. He writes it. He can sell it. You can earn royalties. So it's it's just... it's it's In The Sims, it's a nice little... Uh, career path it's like a self-employed career is it path. a realistic economy in the sims you doomed to failure if you it's, go about things the wrong way it, like the economy is weird but it works semi-realistic like you have you have to pay your taxes and your land fees and whatnot and if you don't they will come start repossessing your stuff wow um the payment system is kind of weird. Like you can buy a fully loaded brand new, um, like you, you can build a house, a decent house for 20,000 simoleons, like fully furnished and everything. So it's not quite right, No. but the payment system itself, like for jobs and whatnot, a minimum wage job you might make, you know, a hundred and hundred and ten dollars a day or whatever, which comparably now is similar. Hundred and ten simoleons a day. Simoleons. Yeah, but no, it's fun. I, I, if anything, I don't play it as much anymore because it is kind of a progression system. Just because you, you're living, you start single or you make a family or whatever. And you, I just don't have time to. To, don't have time for a family to maintain like if i don't have time for a family personally i can't spend time maintaining somebody a else's life a virtual family if anything the only game that i'll play on a fairly consistent basis is now i'm playing through a pga game because really yeah didn't see you as a golf i love golf really i i don't watch it but i like playing you I'm wouldn't go good. to the, you wouldn't go to watch a live game of golf i can't imagine it being too riveting no Golf and baseball is probably better on TV. Baseball's fun to play. Baseball's fun to play. But you're definitely not live to watch. Game. It's better on TV. Better it's hard to it's hard to closer. criticize golf. I've never played you know eighteen holes or anything like that. Oh, let's play in the summer. Every year I do it at least once, and I suck. <laughs> I would love to. I I've been to lots of driving ranges. I can I can yeah, drive I, a ball I need, pretty I need far. To go driving range before because that's. My short game's okay. My long game isn't good. I'm lucky. Some holes, if I clear the ladies' tee, I should maybe try from the ladies' tee. That way, at least I don't have What's, to worry. What do you think's a good drive? Like, if what are you hitting there? No? I, 
at the at the ranges they always have like signs you know, I know 100 I haven't been to a range in years so I should probably go to at least get that but no the the course that I've played at they're reasonable and they'll rent you your full set of clubs so you can just go I feel like golf clubs are kind of ubiquitous in that like everybody's always got a bag of them and sitting in their basement somewhere I have an, I have a set at home that I forgot about that my parents said if I'm going to go golfing I might as well use so I will probably go get them where do you go golfing? Uh, at the Brock. There's a golf course right by Brock. It's called like uh, the the Greens at Brock or something like oh. that. Do they serve like beer? Well, there is a clubhouse. So it would be fun. Just <laughs> the, the first year we did it, it was Justin, Connor, and I. Last year was just Justin and I. First year, Justin, Connor, and I, my favorite moment, we had just finished but the final hole goes back through the first and there was nobody on it. So Justin did his whole happy Gilmore <laughs> running at it and I filmed it or shot it. And I was hoping it would be at least decent. It went like three feet. Like you uh, missed it. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like it'd be great. So it's just fun. I'm not good at it, but it's, and it's not exactly amazing on a super hot day. But I love being outside. I don't think I've enjoyed it either way. But no, it's fun. We should do it. I think on that note, we can't go play golf. But I think there's other stuff that we can probably go do and leave it at that. Yeah. I've got a few things i got to do. I think it's been a pretty good podcast for number two. We're at like an hour 30, an hour 17. Just short of the last one, which yeah. last one went pretty long. So, no, that's good. And we still... We still gotta figure out. I gotta get the the footage from the last one from the GoPro. So yeah, we could cut it. Don't know the name of this thing at all. Thank you for watching the pilot of whatever this is number two. Because that's basically still getting that's, there. That's an, that's an okay title for now. The pilot number two show. <laughs> but yeah, uh, see you next week. My birthday. See you next week. Have fun. Bye bye.